everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. What a beautiful day in Austin, and what a beautiful day to introduce my dear friend, Shane Griffin. Today, we talk about everything from health to mindset to movement to every modality that you can think of to help humanity be a better person. The secrets to entrepreneurship, owning the most of everything in your life, how Robert De Niro can give you life advice and kick your booty in gear, or Kid Rock knocking on your door to party in the middle of the night. My dear friend Shane is probably one of the most interesting men, even greater than the Dos Equis commercial guy, and he deserves a listen. He's loaded with wisdom, heart, soul, and everything in between. So on today's episode, we let Shane dive in. I invite you to take notes, write it down, put into action, but let's get into the episode. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast, where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. I feel like I have my brother from another mother from another country. We're balded brothers. We love cold therapy. I have met someone with a crazier story than mine, but one of the biggest hearts in the world. And so today I'm excited to have my dear friend, the guy who literally has more stories than the hundreds of books that I read every year, but really is dedicated to changing the world by changing his own life first and giving away those gifts, everything from health to mindset to movement to absolutely every modality that you can think of to helping humanity be a better person. And most recently, something that I started wearing where I don't have to swallow my vitamins anymore. I just slap them on my skin. So I am excited to have my dear friend and brother, Shane. Shane, welcome to the show, my friend. My friend. It's good to see you, dude. It's always good to see you. I always good to see you. I'm I'm afraid to come visit you up in the north because I control my ice bath, but you got other variables up there and I know we'd get in. Yeah, and I know we would get there. Now I, we're going to talk about that for sure, but Absolutely. I do, I do got to set context. And you know, this is one of the most important questions I ask, and and it's something that I feel like you have an entire multitude of generational experience with, given the industries you've been in, from the nightclub industry to the health yeah. industry to running a clinic and a physical business and everything in between. And so my question that I ask everybody is: when you look back, when you reflect on where you came from. What was one of the biggest mistakes that you made in business? What's the lesson that you learned? And how do you carry that forward now where you are looking back on the past? Easiest question for me. Impatience. Yes. Biggest mistake I've made is impatience. I have raced. I am a fast thinker, a fast talker, a fast mover. I I love fast. I hate fast. I get angry fast. I get joyous fast. Everything. Everything is fast with me. Um, Even rehab was fast for me. Uh, like uh, 30 days out. Okay. New career. Let's go. It wasn't a, a year long kumbaya, you know? Um, so impatience hands down 100% and anything that I've done that I've failed on, I've gone, I've gone too fast or expected too much too soon mm. for too little initiative, mm. too little input. Uh, and so patience is what I've had to learn over the years, which is still a challenge every day. Yeah. Um, and how have I implemented that? You know, I, I have to, I walk away from a lot of stuff now. Yeah. So I've learned, uh, we talked a little bit about cold therapy and a little bit about mindset and motor, like you just mentioned that in the intro. What I've learned the most is for me, I need to distance myself from the issue at hand to get 
perspective on the issue because the issue that I usually see that has to get done fixed is one step in the process. And I actually learned that in school, by the way, because when I went to school to become a certified nutritional practitioner, our mantra is treat the whole person, not just the symptoms, which means there's a myriad of issues. There's a pathology of issues. It's not the headache. That's the symptom. That's the problem that you're feeling, but what's causing that headache? Well, we got to do the pathology of it all the way down. It could be liver, kidney distress. It could be a hundred things. It could be stress. It could be anxiety. It could be gut digestive imbalance. It could be bacterial imbalance. It could be a thousand things. We have to do the pathology of it. So for me, patience, hundred percent impatient has always left me in a bad place. Um, and then to process that now, it's a hundred percent step away get out of the micro for a minute, look at the macro. Is that the only problem? Is that a descendant of a problem? Is it a systemic problem? Is it relating to other issues? And then, you know, just get back in and work. Yeah. Because- yeah. You know, it's funny is that I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think it's this, this, this conversation I've probably had a hundred times in the last week alone. And, you know, you and I have had very similar pasts and experiences in life. And, I feel like a lot of looking back at where I struggled or where it felt like I was stuck or where it just felt so hard and heavy is I just never simply removed myself from the bottle to look at the label, right? I was trying to fix it from within it. And, you know, when you talk about patience, the two things that I keep hearing that, that I really give my success credit to is space and patience. And, and yeah. it's, some, it's something that I think is so, so prevalent. And, and, you know, just to give everybody some context, like I want you to talk about where that lesson comes from because, you know, for those of you listening, Shane runs vitaminpatchclub.com now, which is something I'm involved with. I help Shane. I believe in all of it. But the path that you got here started with nightclubs and being like one of the top guys in the world and being nutritionists and, you know, mindset coach and life coach and all these different things, but have all been born out of your experience with addiction and struggle and all of those things. And so, you know, I, when you say patience, like I really want everybody to hear patience because you've been taking a path for a long time to get to that lesson. So can you give everybody like a quick overview in whatever depth you want of like how you got here? Yeah, well, I'll start, you know, at the, at the scratch, man. Yeah. Scratch the itch, right? Uh, my parents, they're awesome human beings. They're entrepreneurs, uh, provided a middle of the way, upper class. I don't know what the stand, I don't know what category I sit into. <laughs> my parents were entrepreneurs. They did well. I had a car at 16. I guess I'm privileged, right? Uh, I, I've, they, they, they earned everything. Nothing was handed to them. Um, they set my brother and I up for success, there's no doubt, with more I would say actionable tools than just uh, steering us with wealth. My dad had us working in the warehouse at 13, you know, 12 actually, uh, sweeping floors and forklift operator. And then as we got a little older, we went into the office and we worked as an assistant to the purchaser. And then we worked in accounting and we worked in receivables and payables. And I worked the reception desk for a summer. You know, I was a receptionist, you know. Um, and, And that was like probably 15 or 16 when all my friends were like, you know, starting to be barbacks and working in the what we thought were the cool businesses, the late night stuff. I was working nine to five in the summers. And then after schools, uh, my, my mom would drive us to the office. We'd get done school around 2.45 and I'd work till six. And it wasn't hard. It, I love my family. My brother was there all the time. Um, so that that's that's kind of just the, the, the simple basics of like where I come from. We're, I'm Canadian. Yep. Uh, so, you know, for the followers and viewers that don't, don't know, um, and we're not much different. 
uh, as much as and it's and it is colder here, but only seasonally. Um, but you know, an entrepreneurial middle of the road family that was extremely tight. Uh, like our dinner, we we used to call my dad's company Caligo, our third brother, right? Because it was a family member. Like at dinner, we didn't talk about oh, how was your day? It's like did you see what so and so did and at the job site in Toledo, Ohio today, like, geez, Murphy, like, I can't believe that happened, you know? And so that was our family dynamic. So I was brought up in business, which is the best lesson. I could have gone to pick your Harvard finishing school or business school. I wouldn't have learned one-tenth of what I learned working with real people and real scenarios and real problem solving. I worked in paint shops. Our family business was automotive sector. Uh, we did quality control in assembly plants and a lot of cleaning and, um, and production line maintenance. So we were in charge of the quality of the paint jobs on all the Chrysler, Ford, GM, Audi, Porsche, uh, several different BMWs, South Carolina, globally. Um, and I worked in Detroit, Michigan for a long time. And I did sales all across the U.S. And I was a Southeast Business Development representative at a time uh, when I was in college. <clears throat> and I got to work along uh, hardworking, real working people. So this is this is labor. This is not... It wasn't an office tower. It wasn't like I went in in a suit. Whenever I was working to shut down, we go in for two weeks and we clean two million square feet of space and it's four stories tall. And we have to wipe every surface and clean every surface, horizontals, verticals, every robotic mechanism, water blast all the grates, clean all the sleuthways, uh, deep clean, wet and dry clean every single oven, which are 700 feet long. And there's six of them. And you do that with a shop vac and you do that with a rack. So this is labor intensive. So we're not dealing with uh, probably some of the smartest people I met, but not what society deems smart. They didn't wear a suit and tie and didn't go to Wharton Finishing Business School. Um, but they all came up in the ranks. And I'm fortunate that in that business, my dad was an extremely good boss. And he was a father figure because a lot of these guys, and it was a male-dominated industry, a lot of these guys were kind of disenfranchised. And I learned that a long time or as I was growing up. Like they were from rougher upbringings. They were you know, the guys that needed to get a job. That's it. Like they, they were on the road for six months of the year. Like that's not usually somebody's choice cleaning paint shops. That's not like, hey, what do you want to do for them? I want to clean paint shops. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, and it's not, you know, I want to, kids don't say that. They say Superman or doctor or lawyer or police officer or firefighter or whatever. Paint shops didn't come up. But what I learned from these guys watching them with my dad is a couple important lessons. And I'll jump into my whole lineage um, is treat everybody equally treat everybody with respect and be upfront and authentic at all times. Um, and that is what I saw with my dad. And these guys became kind of a subsect of a family to us. Like I, my brother who bought my dad's business outright about eight years ago um, from my dad, my dad's retired now. And his right-hand guy started with my dad at 18. You know, our, our the CFO started with my dad when he was 23. Uh, most of the senior management, started on the floor they moved up in the business so you don't see that in a lot of companies now so when i so we go to the patients thing that's my first first category of patients is i'm going to look at the global of this the macro these guys that started with my dad didn't jump at every opportunity didn't go to every other company every other i'll give you five grand more a year to come work here they were patient because they had value in what they were doing and who they were working for and we don't see that a lot in our industry today people jump for nonsense People don't stick it out. They don't work through the rough times, which means they lose the ability to learn how to solve problems and manage crisis. And that's a big factor. So I've learned a ton just from 12 to 21 working for my dad. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And then being able to observe that business grow uh, as my brother has taken it from what it was doing to what it's doing now, which is an extremely international global. He's, I believe, the second largest industrial services company uh, in, in the country, or at least in, in, in definitely in Canada. Yeah. Um, maybe in the world that isn't a publicly owned and operated company. We're still private. But he's still a private business. Yeah. So uh, what he has done is exceptional. And I've also learned from him. He started at 12. He's 47. Yep. Right. He didn't, he, he could have cashed out, sold out. He's got offers. I'm sure he's got an exit strategy in his books, but he also is stuck with things. So patience is also kind of sticking with it. Right. Yeah. We have to acknowledge that. Um, and then my next phase is, and this is kind of, I, I like telling this story because my brother and I are extremely close. Um, I was already in the nightclub scene a little bit. I was a little bit of a playboy, right? And I don't mean playboy like that way. I, I mean, I was out. I liked the social life. My brother was more of an introvert. I'm an extrovert. And uh, at about, we, get, we we're allowed to drink at 19 here in Canada. So, um, and 18 in Montreal, but 20, eight, 19 here. So about 19, 20, I started going downtown Toronto to these clubs. And that's like, I mean, when you're that age, it's like a whole different world, right? It's like you're going into Gotham. Right. If you're from a suburb, it's yeah. this city's so big to you. I mean, now it seems like it's a it's a, a fish tank to me whenever I look at it now because I've traveled the world. But at the time it was like, oh my God, there's so many places to go. And I loved it, man. And I used to throw uh all through high school parties that I just did because I love throwing parties. I like being the center of attention, to be truthful. Um, and the kid that threw the biggest house party was a center of attention on Monday at school, you know? So I used to throw them in my dad's warehouse actually and have, we literally had my, well, funny story. My dad was on his way to Boston for a meeting and he saw a flyer on a light post for a warehouse party uh, that was a BYOB that was basically a rave. Um, we had scaffolding set up in the warehouse. So my dad would take off on Friday afternoon, Friday night, I would have friends come in, set up the warehouse with scaffolding, 100,000 square foot warehouse there's at least 80,000 scaffolding in all the corners. We went to local strip clubs and hired the strippers, but not the strip to be, to be go-go dancers. Um, and they would come in and dance on the, on the, on the scaffolding. Uh, then we would set up an 18 wheeler truck. We'd back it in. We'd put a band up or a DJ up. And then I had a, uh, unsavory motorcycle club do security for me. Um, I won't drop any names, <laughs> but the big one. Okay. Uh, support 81 is what a lot of people will know it for. Um, they would come in and do security for us and people would show up. They would check their booze at a, at a bar that we set up uh, and which was actually made out of an inverted swing stage. We would put their beer behind, their liquor behind, then we'd give them tickets and they'd come back with the tickets. And we had these parties. It was 10 bucks guys, seven bucks girls. And we used to put, you know, 2000 people in the space, 2000, 3000 people, the led light show, laser show, all of that good stuff. There wasn't LEDs back then. It was laser lights and, the old, like, mm -hmm. you know, like the spotlights, yep. you know, the yep. so my dad was on his way to Boston and saw a flyer for 344 Newkirk Road, which was the address the thing. And he turned around and went back to the warehouse and I was in the back already setting up. And he literally looked at me and said, and this is how the relationship I have with my dad. He looked at me and said, what are you doing? He goes, do you understand the liability you're putting me in? He goes like, are you out of your fucking mind? Yep. Like he was just beside himself. And I'm like, well, dad, I go, I've been doing this for like six months have once a month and he's like, I don't give a shit. Like you could have, I could lose a business. You could, lose. and he was right, except he had taught me business. 
So what he didn't know is he said, I said, well, dad, this is happening tomorrow. Like it, you call the cops, I guess, but uh, it's the, you're going to have 2000 people on the street. Yeah. And he said, he said, well, there's only one way we can figure this out. He said, like, do you have a party permit, a fire permit? Do you have insurance? Like, if you don't have any of these things, it's getting shut down. And he didn't expect me to have them. Yep. And I did. I had I had the fire department come in and do a fire inspection for occupancy for private venue parties, right? So we had a license for a party a party permit for that night, and I had some insurance on the building that separated my dad under a under a I forget the name of the company now. I think it was um, Better Days Productions. Might have been Better Days, but we had an insurance policy that had us like three million dollars liability. Mm -hmm. So he looked at all the paperwork. He's like, "Well, Jesus, like, you little prick," you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. So I threw that part. That was the last one, though. And um, that kind of got me into things. So as I fast forward, I was already in that scene a little bit. I started going to nightclubs, and I really loved it. And I remember sitting down with my brother, who was – my brother and I were – my dad was starting a, a, a separate business, which is the business of today. And uh, he, 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 I had a piece of it. My brother had a piece of it, and my dad had a piece of it. And, well, it was all of ours, but Clint and him were partners, but I was involved. And I remember looking at my brother saying, like, this isn't, I don't like this. Yep. And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, you've got, you're making more money than a 30-year-old. Like, you have a life path here. Are you an idiot? I'm like, I don't, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I think I'm going to go open a nightclub. And he looked at me, he's like, you're out of your mind. Like, that's the largest failure rate. And I said, look, Clint, I don't want anything from the company. I don't want anything from it at all. I don't deserve anything. You guys are building it. But do me a favor. Can you keep me on payroll? while I go out and explore this. And when I, because I don't want any value for leaving the business as kind of an owner or whatever, will you back my play with dad whenever I need to figure out the finance? Yeah. And he made me do it. He did a handshake deal with my brother. He's like, I got your back, bro. You're my little brother, whatever you want to do. I think you're an idiot, but go ahead and do it. So I went out and uh, the story of how I got my first nightclub, uh, I was a VIP host at a place in Toronto, which means I was nothing. <laughs> uh, basically, I would fill their VIP and I would get free booze, but I was yep. treated like an owner and I was introduced around town as an owner. And um, it was a place called Casino Lounge and people thought I owned a piece of it. And that gave me at 19, 20 years old clout, right? Like I yep. was a big shot. I was an owner of a club and I wasn't. Um, but uh, there was, I don't know if you remember the movie, um, I think it was called Drive and it had Sylvester Stallone in it. Yeah, they it filmed was, it there, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They filmed, they filmed the closing scene there. And I wasn't aware of that as I brought down my two limo buses full of people for the night. So I had 40 people coming into the VIP on my name and I pull up and Jesse, who was a legitimate owner and a friend of mine um, who introduced me to the space and brought me in as a, as a host, whatever. Uh, he looked at me and he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I got my guests for the night. What do you mean? What am I doing here? And he said, Shane, he goes, we're closing. It's private. It's, it's a, we're filming, we're filming a movie. And I said, he's been that he jokes me. He's like, Do you want to meet Sylvester Stallone? And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> Forget the people for a minute. I do. So I went over and said hi, and that was neat. Um, but uh, I, he said, Look, go to this club. It's called Inside. There's a guy at the front door. He's still a friend of mine, by the way. His name's Blake. He goes, Tell Blake that you're one of the owners here and tell him that you'd like him to comp all of our, your 40 guests and we'll do a deal with them. Their staff can come over and drink. We'll pay them a, a check at the end of the week, whatever. You know, like just run a tab and we'll take care of it. Handshake. Dude, this happens in clubs all the time. Staff get taken care of back and forth. Mm -hmm. You don't keep tabs. 
So I will roll up with this limo bus and I get out all sauntered up like, you know, I think I'm like some big shot and I walk up and you Blake and he's like, yeah, and you understand I'm five, five and I didn't have any of this and I'm a little scrawny kid and, and Blake's, you know, six, two looks like John Cena. Yep. You know what I mean? And he really is that good looking of a guy um, and a sweetheart of a guy too. And he, uh, he turns and he goes, he goes, yeah, what can I do for you? And I'm like, Hey Blake, I'm Shane. I'm the owner of one of the owners of casino lounge. Can I, uh, can I slide in? I got 40 people and, you know, we're going to take over your VIP for the night. If that's cool. And, you know, we'll run up a huge tab and, and casino's going to pay the bill. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, Shane, he goes, you're a host. You don't have the authority to do this. He goes, no, not happening. And that was in front of people. Yep. I was humiliated, bro. And he didn't, and he didn't yell it. He wasn't disrespectful. He was honest, actually. I wasn't an owner. Jesse told me to swing by, but did I have a credit card from Casino Lounge to prepay the bill? You know, like, I, you know, I didn't, even though it was, you know, a handshake. So I turned around and I sent the bus home. And when the bus is pulled away, it's like a movie shot, man. There was a restaurant across the road that was called Mr. Pong's Chinese Food. A little two-story building, two and a half story. Looked like a semi-detached, squeezed between two big office towers. And it had a for sale sign on it. And I turned around to Blake and I said, you know what? You did do your job but you're going to regret it because you're going to work for me one day. And he laughed. He goes, yeah, I heard that a thousand fucking times, asshole type thing, right? Mm -hmm. I went across the road and I went into the place and I, I, uh, I said, who's the owner? Is there an owner here? And this guy comes out of the kitchen. His name is Lake Pong. And he says, I'm the owner. I said, I see your building's for sale. How much do you want for it? And he gave me a number. And uh, I remember calling my dad. And this is now about midnight. And I said, dad, I think I found a building for my club. And he's like, how much do they want? I said, blah, 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 how much it was. <clears throat> he says, you don't have the equity. I said, well, I can find the money. You know, I can always, I can, I knew, I know people. I know people that will lend money, even if it's high rate. He goes, the only way you're going to pull this off, kid, is if you have, get it for this price, because you need this much for construction minimum. Mm -hmm. So basically, the price of the building was here. I needed to cut it in half to be able to do both parts of the, of the segment. Yep. Right. And uh, he, uh, uh, Lake Pong, anyways, looked at me and gave me the number. I went back in. I offered him all cash deal at half the value of what he was asking. Yep. What I didn't know about Mr. Pong was he was being sent to jail the next month. And he was liquidating assets because he had an, an illegal arms deal. Mm. So I didn't know that he was desperate to sell. He had to sell. So he accepted the offer. So I turned around and about two in the morning or three in the morning, I had a building on Richmond Street in Toronto, which was the club corridor. And I think that's hilarious. Didn't you include your friends Harley in the deal? Yes. Yeah. So Jimmy Williams, who owned the limo company um, that I was, uh, I, I used for the, the nightclubs and everything else. And uh, Jimmy, I, 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 I had the Harley there um, and he liked the Harley. And uh, he's like, what's the deal with that? And I'm like, uh, why well, you want it? And he's like, well, it's a deal. If you throw that in, I'm like, done. Deal started. I remember calling Jimmy. He's like, hey, how did it go? How did Jimmy talk like this? Hey, Jimmy had like this tough Greek guy. He goes, hey, Shaner, Shaner. He actually used to call me Tagger, and I won't explain why, because um, it's derogatory. He goes, hey, Tagger, Tagger, how'd it go? How'd it go? And I'm like, it went good, buddy. I got the building. He goes, ah, it's fucking great. You're going to own a fucking club. That's beautiful. And I, I said, bad news. I owe you Harley. No, I got the phone. <laughs> Well, what I love, what I love about this, and I and I've heard the story, and I laugh every time, and I love it. Like you, basically, you take what you talked about in the beginning. You invest in people. You've always loved people. You learned the value of like hard work and principles and people and staying long time. And like you've leveraged relationships and absolutely everything that you do. Like you are the master at relationships. Like every time I'm sitting with you, 
you're like, oh, I'll reach out to them. I know them. I have them. It's relationships. And so you get this building and then you literally turn around and go from Chinese restaurant to becoming like one of the biggest nightclubs in Toronto. Therapy wasn't. Therapy Lounge was my baby. That was my first one. Therapy Lounge was only a 666 capacity, but it was the only club on the street that was a lounge. I love the idea of sultry and sexy. Like yeah. I had Honduran mahogany, not not laminate. The bar was made out of her. The bar was a $200,000 bar. I didn't know anything about design, by the way, I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. I should have spent $6,000 on a plywood construction and laminated it. I was a total <laughs> idiot. I, I didn't understand designers have dreams. And then, so I blew my budget, but uh, it was the most greatest place. And I did leverage and you're absolutely right. I had a friend of mine, Dave Jankoulis, who was uh, just left red? Uh, just left Rockstar Energy drinks. They got bought by um, Pepsi, I believe, mm-hmm. or somebody. They just they just sold. He was the president of Rockstar Canada for many many years. But long before that, he his dad at a bar in Oshawa, and I was good friends with them. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to buy a club. You're going to be my manager. You're an old friend. I trust you. Dave, ironically, didn't take the job, but he had committed to it. And as a commitment present, I took him to Mardi Gras with a bunch of other guys. We had a crazy wild week down there. And uh, that was like a signing bonus. And um, that was one of the trips. There was many to Mardi Gras. Uh, that was my that was my Vegas. You can keep Vegas. Mardi Gras was Vegas. Uh-huh. Um, gamble with your life, not with your money, I used to say. Um, so anyways, uh, Dave came back. He's like, Shannon, I don't know if I really want to take the job. I think I scared him maybe in Mardi Gras. I'm not sure. <laughs> he saw some signs of me he probably hadn't seen. And uh, uh, But he did find me, another amazing guy, and, and, uh, and Craig, and Craig and Adrian, and he brought two other people. So an old friend, not just an applicant, couldn't come through but didn't leave the space empty, right? Yep. And, uh, and, and then I brought on – I had a great team. So Therapy Lounge was by far my proudest, proudest thing. And then from that, I had Money Nightclub, which was the largest nightclub uh, next to RPM, which was Charles Caboot, um, which became uh, the government, which was four clubs in one space. And I think they did about 15,000 people a night. We did, we did 8,000. So in Toronto, we were the second largest club. Um, but I was the only person that owned my properties. That was the big difference. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I leveraged by buying properties around me and then I reconverted them or else I took over other. Money Night Club existed before me. I can't see I created it. I want to take credit for it. Money Night Club was another person's club and I acquired it uh, through, a, through a certain way. I won't discuss that here because it's, it's not, not the right way to talk about things. Um, but I got it through a little nefarious method, shall we say. Um, but I ended up getting it. And I wanted it. And I did it because I didn't like the guy that owned it, by the way. Yeah. I wouldn't do that to a good person. But uh, so fast forwarding, because I don't want to take up all of our time on, on that. Um, nightclubs, I end up having them. And I and I, what I didn't know, and I'm going to be real honest with your audience, because I, think, I, I don't want to blow this story up as, as, oh, wow, what a cool life. I didn't know that I was miserable. Yeah. That's the sad part, George, is I had developed somewhere along the line, probably in my early adolescence, a self-esteem, self-worth issue. So the reason I threw parties and I did all that shit for the attention was to fill, you know, just just the top of my needs. And I would just just fill in just a little bit. Just if you think of a glass and it's draining out, I was just getting enough to keep the bottom with a little fluid and I never filled my cup. Yeah. Right. It was always a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. I never sealed the problem of, of this lack of self-worth and lack of integrity and or self self-esteem. And I started drinking more and I started using more. I was doing an eight ball of Coke a day. Um, from 19 years old until I quit. 
and uh, that's 20 years. And uh, well, but yeah, 18 years. And I was drinking excessively. Like we, we drink a lot in Canada. It's well known around the world. Canadians and Australians compound them back. Um, and I was at the top. I would be in a heavyweight fighter if there was a, if there was a competition for it. I, on my 30th birthday, I think it was like 40 drinks. Yeah. You know, 36 or 38 drinks. So I was masking that. And then I didn't develop good quality. When, you, when, you're, when you're intoxicated and you're, you're living in a, in a false reality and you, you, you are sitting there everybody is looking at you for something and you already have a self-esteem self-worth problem uh you compensate by making everybody feel they got something and it's shallow and hollow and it's not authentic which leaves you more void yeah right so you keep giving this false person the way i explain it to people that makes a lot of sense is i was a broadway performer or a stage actor except i didn't finish the stage yeah. So when you see an actor, they get into character. They create a new version of themselves to give to an audience, to entertain people. And they go on and they do their, their, their show. And then they come off and they wipe the makeup off and get into their street clothes and they go home. That character of Shane club owner slowly got more and more and more where it was 24 hour cons consumed by it. I was... I didn't communicate with my girlfriends, loved them all, never cheated on a woman in my life, but I wasn't a good boyfriend because I wasn't there, mm -hmm. right? I was always, void. I was distant. I was, I didn't like me, dude. That's yeah. a simple truth. I didn't like who I was. If you don't like yourself, you're pretty fucked. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. When like what it sounds like, and you and I have very similar, you know, stories is it becomes all engulfing that everything's an act. You have no time down and then you're just like running and running and then the threshold gets higher and you have to increase the intensity. You have to do bigger parties. You have to do more lavish things to get attention. Like the, all of it changes. I mean, you were, you were like hiring private jets at like 17, literally throwing parties that celebrities would come find you at. Like you have more crazy stories than anybody I know, but it just seems like it was like the, you would have to find another level to the gas pedal and you just well, have to push exactly it a little bit. It. That's exactly it. Like, I mean, I remember – you know, I'll tell this one story. I don't want to name drop because it's kind of, you know, cheesy. Um, but this one's this one I think was is, is, is kind of, you know. So when you speak about jets and stuff, yeah, we would I would charter planes uh, to go to Mardi Gras, yeah. right? Like I would take my whole staff. I'd be like, like I'm having a good party myself at my club and I love Mardi Gras. And I'm like, guys, let's go to Mardi Gras. Fuck it, close the club, right? And like literally take the whole team down. And uh, and it was it was the the top floor of the force of the uh, the Ritz Carlton, and um, we had there's so the top floor of the Ritz Carlton in in uh, New Orleans. I don't know if it still is like this, but when you get to the the, the governor's suite and the chairman's suite, yep. which are like the credentials, right? The elevator goes up, and there's a door on one side and a door on the other. It's the whole side of the floor, right? So you got one side or you got one side. You're overlooking the park or you're overlooking uh, downtown New Orleans or the, the river, I mean, or downtown New Orleans. And the at the very end of these rooms, there's a little balcony that overlooks an end pool that you share, a rooftop pool that's got like a barn thing. Mm -hmm. Brought everybody down and we're having a bang up time. And I wanted to throw the biggest party in this hotel, right? So like, and it's Mardi Gras, they let anything go. So I went down to the front desk. First thing I did is when my, when my guests all got down, I'm like, all right, guys. And I had friends on lower floors that were staying in actual rooms. Like I, it was, I won't give the, the hotel tab, but it was extremely large. I remember calling my brother saying, I matched the card again. He goes, you did that yesterday. I go, 
there's a check in my desk drawer. Can you drop it at the bank and pay it? So my credit card clears up and we're talking like a $20,000 limit. Yeah. So like 20 grand a day, right? Taking care of everybody. And my brother was like, you're out of your fucking mind. You're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, having a good Mardi Gras, you know? Um, so I was down there. So I was, I, I said to all my friends, as soon as I get down, I'm like, and my team members, I'm like, all right, give, everybody give me your watches. They're like, why? I'm like, give me your watches. Let the safe deposit box in the room through the watch. They go, why are you doing that? I said, because time doesn't exist here. You drink till you pass out. You wake back up. You drink till you pass out. That's your time. There is no 12-hour clock here. Yeah. You might wake up at 3 in the morning from passing out at 6 p.m. the night before, and you start. You'll find one of us. One of us will be out there. Yeah. Find us. Call us. Right? And so there's this great thing. And then the next thing uh, that happened is I went down to the front desk, and I got 200 room key cards. And I went up to all my friends, and I said, Every girl that raises her blouse, give her a key to the car, key to the hotel, and tell her there's a party here Saturday night at 8 p.m. I hired a jazz band, hired bartenders, had the whole place set up at 8 p.m. 800 people in, on the on that deck patio. Band playing, tequila, rye, Jagermeister, a friggin' bender, right? Like I literally stood on the balcony that overlooked the pool off the bedroom. I've told you this part. Yep. And I went, this is fucking biblical. Yep. Because it was the part, it was the unknown party in Mardi Gras. Yeah. Like it was like a speakeasy in Mardi Gras. That's impossible to pull off, right? You had to have a key to get in, and it was, it was just epic, dude. It was just epic. And I'm sitting there, and I still, and I'm, I'm still fond of these memories, even though I think they're so shallow and pointless. And then um, I get a knock on the door, and uh, I, I figure it's police, right? So I open the door, and it's a guy with long hair, and he's got like a fedora, and he's got glasses on, and he kind of leans in in a raspy voice. He goes, yo, man, what the fuck you got going on here? And I'm like, uh, having a party, dude. You got a key? He's like, I don't got a key. I'm in the room across the hall. I'm like, oh, wow, it's going to go late, bro. I hope you're not calling to complain. I'm looking at him, and I'm recognizing him, but I don't know where I recognize him from. <laughs> and I'm like, what? How do I know you? We met, and I, you gotta understand, I'm gassed. I'm high and drunk. I'm thinking, what? Guy's got like a furry collar on, big glasses, gold chain. I'm like, who the? What? You know? And he looks at me, and this is now I'm gonna tell you who he is. You guys remember the song Cowboy? I'm a cowboy. It's Kid Rock. Yep. It's Bob Ritchie. So I'm sitting there, and uh, and and that was his only popular song at the time. So it was like he was just starting out. So I'm like, hey, you're the cowboy. You're the cowboy that's moving to the West Coast guy. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm Bob Ritchie. And I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. Really appreciate meeting you. And he's like, so hey, man, can me and my girl come in? I'm like, absolutely. I'd love to have you over. Right? So, sorry, I think somebody here. <laughs> sorry, I just, I'm hearing noises in my kitchen. I'm wondering if an animal get in there. I'm it's, all, it's all the stories of the past coming up. Like, hey, reminder, yeah, here people, we go. There's people saying, yeah yeah so well so uh, actually anyway, I, long story short bobby comes in we have a crazy party three days him and i didn't leave the master bedroom yeah Game best well so like you, you said something and i think this is really important you're like i love the stories no matter how shallow they are but like one of the reasons like i think your story and your past is so impactful is because like some people have played on the extreme level but like you played on like a level and created a level that didn't exist for people and 
I think it serves as a perfect juxtaposition for like what you stand in and believe in now. Like you don't have shame about the past. You have knowledge looking back. But when I hear you now, the guy that literally coaches people, you help people find their meaning and their path and their values and their worth. And I'm talking everybody from the top A-listers of the A-listers down to me and our friends and everybody. I think one of your gifts is that range, that range that you've experienced. But, you know, when you talk about it, I want everybody to understand, like, I know Shane and and his heart. And, like, those things are perfect experiences to stand for kind of like what you do now and and how you do it and what you believe in and who you stand for. And what I think is so remarkable um, in my experience, like, I'm a pretty extreme person, but I can't even get to your level. But it felt like the opposite wasn't even possible for me. Like I was living in such this like chasing another level of dopamine, skydiving more, jumping more, crazy dopamine, like distraction, performing this person. And then, you know, I had a family and I lost it all and I ended up almost bankrupt and I ended up alone and, you know, in some dark, dark, dark areas. And at those times I was like, I I, I couldn't even exist here. And I imagine, you know, when you were like the nightclub things exploded, all this was going, you got to a point where you felt that inside. You're like, this isn't it. Like I'm, I'm empty. There's nothing there. I call it the tears after the beers. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, I've talked with this when I sold all my nightclubs. So that's the funny story, kid rock. We're good with all my partying. Everybody gets the idea. Yeah. 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 Uh, And, uh, and then I sold my nightclubs at 34, 35, I guess. And I had built this idea and this, this character for so long that once I, that was gone, I had no idea who I was. Yep. Right. And, and it was, and I didn't have the access and all of a sudden, by the way, people didn't give a shit. Yeah. Right. Because I didn't, I, I had personal access cause I had colleagues, but all of a sudden I was living in my really nice home in, in suburb on suburb Ontario with the boat downtown and, it just, it, it I, this person, I didn't know who the fuck I was, dude. And then I used to start, I hung around this unsavory group up there and it was just, you know, local pub, drink till last call, come back to my house, do blow till four. Horrible existence. And for two years, I was depressed, yeah. not knowing it. Um, but I call it the tears after the beers because eventually the party always ends. Yeah. And whatever, and this is the same with any thing your followers your viewers your anybody is listening to if you push away your issues you're just giving them a, a bigger a bigger levy to break on you you're building another issue onto the issue onto the issue onto the issue it's just how it works if you don't if you don't eat slowly every problem you have take them digest them and then shit it out <laughs> uh, you know, literally get rid of it by going through the process then you're going to leave yourself to disaster. And I had built 20 years, 20 years of issues that I had neglected. And one night sitting on my couch, I'm just in tears. Mm-hmm. Everybody had gone. My house smelt the cigarettes and booze. And, you know, I couldn't sleep because I'd been up for two days on Coke and uh, the house was a mess. And, and I looked around, I remember, I remember it vividly, man, I was sitting on my couch and I'm just bawling and like, I think CSI Miami was on TV or something, one of the late night A&E shows or Law & Order SVU on USA Networks or whatever. And I was just like looking at TV mindlessly, zombie, stupid. I couldn't make meetings. Nobody really cared. I had a girlfriend who was passed out upstairs, high as a kite too. Um, and it was just fucking horrible. Mm. And that wasn't enough because, as you know, 
I went through that for two years, mm -hmm. every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night, because I used every day almost. Mm -hmm. So it's the same cycle. So what happens is you sit there in your fog, feeling like shit, and then you wake up the next day and the fog's still there. You don't feel like shit because the, the physical crap takes over mm -hmm. where your body is, 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 is decimated from the abuse you did. And you, the only way to heal that abuse is to go use again. Mm -hmm. So you do. And then by the end of the night, you remember that you feel like shit mentally because you've used all these drugs that open up that portal in the brain that after everybody's gone, it goes, oh, yeah, I'm a piece of shit. And it compounds. And then you feel worse. You do more worse. And 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 then my story of revelation um, is was was in, in uh, Greece when I was 37. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, um, I broke up. Maybe give the summary of this one. Yeah. Short, give give, short give the summary of this. And this one's a powerful story, but I think the summary of this one's a really good one. Long story short, I landed in Greece with a girl that I wanted to date and I wanted to impress her. So I took her to Greece and I showed up like Shane Griffin in those days showed up. Douchebag schmuck. Loafers, suit, Gucci glasses, whatever you want to say, right? Just picture your picture your biggest kind of Miami looking douchebag. Did you did you have alligator shoes too? Uh no, they were Gucci loafies. Oh, Gucci loafers. But Continue. I, did have, I did have gators. I did have gators. It's not not for not for Greece. Continue. Continue. I am so uncultured. I would show up in hoodies and board shorts. So continue. Yeah. Well, I do now. This is. I got dressed up for you. I put on a long sleeve with the logo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing flip flops. Um, but uh, so, anyways, I got there, and the one thing that this girl said to me, and she was quite an angel, and I mean that with all sincerity. She said, "Shane, I know that you drink, and that you have fun. Please don't drink and drive in the village where my family's at. Like it's very simple." And she wasn't staying even in my hotel. She wanted no. No, no image that we were together. She's like, you're my friend. You're here as my friend. I'm giving you a tour. And I took her on the trip. That's that's a given. But she made it clear that this was not a this was not a quid pro quo. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Um, uh, that she's like, I appreciate your kindness, and I'll have a great time, and I'll show you the best parts of Greece, and that's what that's what you're getting for this. You're getting a private tour guy. Um, I expected more because I was a douchebag and thought women were acquired, and they were acquired through impressing them through money. Um, so that's where I was at that time in life. Anyways, second night there, I re I'd rented a, uh, a um, AMG what the hell did I rent? Uh, Mercedes um, uh, GT. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I left drunk. I'll give the short version. I left drunk. I wrote the car off. I fractured my broke my nose, fractured my orbital, fractured three ribs. Um, I was this side of my face was mangled and I was coughing up blood and it was not good. Um and the next morning she kicked in the door of the hotel and was like, what the fuck happened? Like your the car's wrecked. Yeah. And I'm like, and I don't know why I said this, but I was still drunk and probably in shock. And I and I said, I, I got carjacked by Albanians. And and she laughed a little kind of because knowing me, that was I mean, I'm from a dead sleep stuck to a pillow with blood on my face. And she's like, You're such an asshole. Like just you're such you're like Shane, I watched you wreck the car. The club is an outdoor club. You drove around the back of the club and put it off the road where the whole club could see. You know, like we saw the headlights go bing, bing, bing off the road yeah. and then back up onto a service road. So long and short, she on that trip said, I'm out. I think you're a great guy, Shane. I'm not invested enough into this. I'm not putting myself at risk and I'm leaving. I'm not, not taking the rest of her. I'm going to stay with my family. Yep. I'll get myself home. 
of course, I said, you're a bitch. You're fucking use me for a first class ticket or a private jet or whatever the hell we got there and blah, 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 and all that other shit. And, uh, and, and I remember leaving after I said all those things to her and I felt just like shit, dude. I'm like, that's not you, man. Yeah. That's not you. You're not that guy. You're not that guy. But I, I was that guy. I didn't want to be that guy, but I was that guy. So I spent a week uh, by myself kind of healing at this salt lake water thing that I found. And then I went on to Mykonos and Santorini. And when I was in Mykonos, the short version is, um, I'll back this up a little bit. We know I was in the nightclub business. I was involved in film festivals. I met a lot of celebrities. Okay, guys? One celebrity particularly told me how to, how to, how to call him if I ever saw him again. I never expected to see this celebrity ever again in my life. Because when do you run into this guy? Right. Yep. And I'm in the hotel room and I hear this voice. Now you understand these were, these were villas that were staggered and each one went out where there was a bush and then a hot tub yep. and then a bush and then a hot tub. And they all looked over the, 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 the sea and I'm sitting on the, I'm sitting in the hot tub and I hear this voice. It sounds awfully familiar. You know, I think uh, we're going to do a, you know, it's like this talk kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm like, fuck, I know that voice. So I go, Bobby. And I hear, Hey, ew, who's that? Right, so I go, Bobby. It's Shane Griffin. He goes, Come on the hallway. I don't, know you, I don't know who you are. Right. So for the folks that don't know, Robert De Niro goes by Bobby if you're his friend. Yep. So I come out in the hallway and I'm like, Bobby, it's Shane. He looks at me. He goes, I don't, I don't fucking know you. All right. And I'm like, It's Toronto. You did the film festival party. You opened the club, or you opened your your your, your, your media at the thing. He goes, Hey, Toronto. What fucking what movie was that? And I told him the movie. And I forget it now. Um, I think it was, I think it was the meet the Falkers or something like that. Anyways. Uh, he's like, he's like, hey. he goes, Oh, the purple club, the purple club. I'm like, yeah, yeah. the purple club. Oh yeah. Yeah. How, how you doing? It's like, oh, geez. You look banged up, you know, type thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm banged up a little bit. I said, what are you doing for dinner? He goes, oh, I'm just going to go out. He's by himself. I'm by myself. We went to dinner and at dinner, uh, this is when the epiphany happened. Um, I'm a big fan of celebrities. I don't like that everybody shits on them because I know a lot of them and they're just as human as you and I. Yep. And you have an opinion and I have an opinion and they're allowed to have an opinion. No, they're not, they're, they're less unattached. They're actually more dialed into the issues than most of the people I know yep. on the defense because they deal with a whole different category of issues. Um, and I know that intimately. That's why I, I won't speak anymore on that. Um, but, I, but I have a lot of respect. I'm always fascinated with people that have excelled in a career that millions of other people are excelling. I want to know the best firefighter in the world too, by the way. Yep. Who's best? How did you get better than everyone in business, in spiritual advice, everything? When somebody is the elite, the best UFC fighter, whoever's holding the belt, what separates you? Yep. Right? That fascinates me. So actors and musicians do. We're at dinner and he literally looked at me and goes, so what happened? I said, ah, this girl, you know, I took her out and, you know, I took her here and then I wrecked the car and, da, 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 and, blah, 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 and she's a bitch and this and that. He's like, I don't know. I don't know if she's a fucking bitch. I don't know if I'd say that. It was like, you fucking wrecked the car, Shane. You know, and I said, well, you know, and so anyways, he goes, he goes, you know, Shane, and this was the most poignant thing was ever said to me. And I'm, and I actually have permission to, to say this. Um, he said, Shane, can I, can I be honest with you? And I said, yeah, that's my best part, De Niro people. Um, and so he said, can I be honest with you? So he goes, I write stories for a living. I tell stories for a living. I direct stories for a living. I'm a fucking storyteller. He goes, your life is amazing. You got a great fucking story but we could never produce it in Hollywood. And I said, why? He goes, because we don't make movies with bad endings. Yep. And he literally said, you know, maybe you need some help. And I said, you think I need to go to rehab? He says, I don't think it'd be a bad fucking thing. 
know, it's not going to fucking hurt you. The bars will still be there when you get out if you don't like it, yep. you know. And um, that was the first moment I ever thought about going to rehab. And then, you know, I, I just, I, I, I embraced it. I, I got home and I had some help getting there. I acknowledged my brother who, who, who was the final push for me. Um, I'd been thinking about it for about two months. And Clint was the one that basically sat me down. It's like, hey, man, I heard you're thinking about going. There's a plane at the airport. It's fueled and it's going to California. You can be honored or you cannot. I'm never bringing this up again. Yeah. You know, type thing. And that was it. That's how it was. That's how it laid out to me. He's like, I'll never bring it up to you again. You know, I, won't, I don't fucking care if you go or you don't care. You're a big boy. He said, but uh, I've arranged a place for you and you can go or not. There was no ultimatum. There was no, you're not going to be in our family anymore. There was no martial law. They were just like, you're a big boy. If you think you got a fucking problem, you probably have a fucking problem, kid. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're so right. And uh, I got on the plane and I went. And, uh, and, and, I, and I loved it. I went to a place called Passages. Uh, it is a high flute in Malibu place, people. So yeah, privileged. Um, spent a lot of money to be there. Uh, but they were a non-12 step. My brother picked that specifically because he didn't think that I could submit to a higher power, um, which he was right. Um, and that's not to say that I don't believe in, in anything that you want to believe in. For me, not a religious guy. Uh, not the 12 step is based in religion. But it does submit to a higher power, and I've just always believed I'm I, I I'm I manifest my own destiny. I can create my own luck, and I create my own bad luck too. Um, and I didn't want to be reliant on on a on a a person that if I didn't get in call in touch with them when I was having a tough moment, like a sponsor, if I didn't call them, that I would crumble because they're my gateway to success, right? So this holistic pathway that they taught, taught me was about self acknowledgement and about self worth. And it was about self-esteem and self-management and creating positive habits in your life and creating purpose in your life, creating passion in your life. And I fell in love with it, George. Yeah. I fell in love with the whole concept. I fell in love with, when I heard the word holistic before I went in there, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to come out of Tesla driving tree hugging. <laughs> like, I'm going to be wearing Birkenstocks. Like, I'm a capitalist. I like business. I love helping people, but I like business. I'm like social this and economic this. And I'm like, I don't want to come out. You know, bleeding heart, kumbaya, namaste. Like that's that's not a version of me either. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love like I own a yoga studio, but I, I I'm, I'm too diverse. So um, yeah, that's where I got my start, man. And 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 from there, I went back to school and earned a bunch of degrees and became a certified nutritional practitioner, North Molecular Health practitioner. This is where we talk about the patients and the yep. purpose and the passion. Um, I looked back on on most of my decisions that I had made that led me to the bad path, and they were because I, I didn't plan it and prepare it in a purpose. Yeah, you know. So, so when I when it's, I call it the four P's for me, right? Yep. It's patience, plan, prepare, have purpose. You know. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're very important. Uh, and and I had I didn't have any of those really aligned. I had react, emulate, stimulate. <laughs> you know, like that's what I had, and those weren't healthy. Numb. So, repeat. Numb, repeat, yeah, and repeat, do again. Yeah, you wash rinse, repeat, right? Yeah, yeah. So what I think is so profound. I mean, we could, you know, we could do a, a ten-hour show, and hence why I, I tell you, you keep need to, you still need to launch your own podcast. Um, for everybody listening, you can just hit Shane up and tell him that. But what I think is now to get to where we are today, right? So you, 
had your epiphany moment. No one better than the like the Godfather himself of like acting in that Italian accent and everything. And like that advice being absolutely profound, like absolutely profound. It was so matter of fact and so direct, and it was so. He didn't know me that well. That's the thing, George. Yeah. That was the thing to me. He was just. He's just. He's just at the time a sixty-eight-year-old man who is on the top of his fucking world. First, he took time to have dinner with a guy that he had five drinks with in the VIP six, eight years before, right? I don't know. Maybe he needed a friend that night. Maybe he was lonely. I don't know. But I know that he sat and he, and we we talked, and, and it was a human being. Yep. It was like the stars were aligned, bro. I just I remember just sitting there and, like, it wasn't even that I was hanging out with. Like, I wasn't Bobby De Niro-ish. Like, it wasn't, you know? Yeah. I wasn't like, oh, I'm fucking going out with Bobby De Niro. I mean, I sent my mother some pictures. Totally. You know, Blackberry Messenger at the time. I'm like, hey, mom, Bobby's coming out with a bottle of wine from the restaurant. She's like, you're with Bobby De Niro? And I'm yeah. like, yeah. But what I, think, what I think is so powerful, and I'm going to bring it to today, is like when you really look at it, like that that intervention, I'll call it intervention, the divine intervention was literally predicated on how you treated him over a glass of whiskey X amount of years prior, even in the midst of all the chaos and the distraction, the addiction that you had this part of you that really understood people going all the way back to childhood, like people, 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 I'm no different. I treat people well. I treat people well. like it wasn't an accident. It was a byproduct of how you showed up consistently. And then it basically was the lever to get you out of the way. So you go through passages, you get out, you get all these certified things. And I mean, you are a smart dude and the word you drop, I'm like, can you say that again and spell it for me when we spend time together? But really, then you fast forward and, and everyone starts to catch wind and you literally help people and you help everybody from the tip top to the top to me bumping down on the street. And I think one of your gifts is is you have range and range is a gift. You have experience. Like you have the ability to reach out and connect with people anywhere that they are. And so one of the things that I love about you is that like when we met, like we became like instant friends. We were on FaceTime, we were connecting, we were jamming, we were speaking and we speak the same language, but then you realize like you have a purpose, you have a passion. The reason this story exists is to serve people, to help people in whatever context that is. And then what I love is you take that tenacity that's a gift, that ability to be resilient and determined and, and you know, like make it through this stuff and apply it to people. And these lessons that you've learned, you know, I hear you say things, I hear you drop things that are like profound wisdom and nuggets, but I, I watch you and I pay attention to you and I work with you and I, I'm in your world. And like, one of the things that I will tell you is that every single person that I see come into contact with you feels important. They feel seen, they feel heard, they feel respected. They feel like a person and that being your secret. And right. so, and so when I, when I got to meet you and I heard about what you were up to and how we could work together and how I could support you, I was like, this guy gets people like he's guaranteed to succeed. He understands that it's patience. It's the long game. It's people. But my question for you is like, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that play this game and a lot of us bury ourselves in entrepreneurship, right? That becomes our thing. That becomes our value. That becomes our worth, the results that we create, how, how hard we can hustle, what we post pictures with. And so when you think about this, like now, being where you are now and looking at all of what you experienced to yeah. get here, what's the hardest part of being here and remaining like I'm worthy, I'm worth doing this, having the patience, sticking the course with consistency and persistence. But you know, on a lot of the simple things that help you elevate, 
where you are in your life. Like, how do you go about that every day? Like, what does your day look like? What do you focus on? You know, you run this company, vitaminpatchclub.com. You help people with life coaching and nutrition coaching and mindset coaching. And it's like, so what do you focus on? Like now with all of that, that history, 30 years, like what is so important every day to do now? So I have, I have one goal, one fixed goal in life. And I decided this whenever I was in school and I got my certified life coaching certificate or my coactive life coaching certification. I want to help people. I generally like the reward that I get. I'm still a drug addict. Mm-hmm. And the drug that I prefer is the dopamine rush that I get when somebody feels better because I exist. Mm-hmm. And that's 100% true. Now, you can't, I'm not wealthy enough to be in a, live in a utopia where I can just give away everything and just go help people. I also am a capitalist and I also want to have a nice life myself. Mm-hmm. So I have to build something. I have to build something that has enough value that allows me to do what I want to do in the long run. My goal was always to build the company to a certain size that I would be able to step away as the leadership, still be involved, the face and very active and run vitamin patch charity, which would be a foundation that would, 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 it would hand out basically a million dollars a month. That's my first goal that I had whenever I started building the company. Stepping back before that, I learned I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. I learned, I learned whenever I started my life coaching, I've never charged a single person for life coaching. Celebrities are homeless. Veterans or women's shelters, I do not charge. I won't charge. I don't need to charge. I have abilities to make other income. Um, I think that it's an absolute gift. It's an absolute responsibility that we decide to actually give a shit about other human beings again. I said it in my Goldcast video, I'll say it again. We need to start caring about each other again. I don't give a, pardon my French, I don't give a fuck what you politically believe. You have blood coursing through your veins. You have aggression, you have sadness, you have sympathy, you have empathy, you have hurt, you have trauma, you have guilt, and you have shame, the same as fucking me. Yep. And it's so damn important that we start acknowledging each other as a human, not as some stupid tribal bullshit. I like the bulldogs, you like the gators. <laughs> like, it's such fucking nonsense. Yeah. And I'm a fan of sports, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like... This, this this asylums we put each other in, I'm pro this, I'm anti this, I'm this, I, it's fucking nonsense. What do we really want to do? Yeah. We want to exist, we want to feel good, and we want to not be in harm's way. And that's not that complicated. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. When, what I realized really quickly along the way is I live by one word. To answer your question, my day looks like, how do I manage? Very quickly, I do not go to bed unless I'm gonna sleep easy that night. And I last week didn't. I'm a man of my work. I was up for 48 hours because I had shit going on that I hadn't worked through. Mm-hmm. I did not go to bed. I will not put my head on my pillow until I am assured that I did everything in my power to make it okay, to make things equivalent, to make them flattened, right? So I live by, I, I, you probably heard of the Mind 10 bracelets. I got this bracelet. Well, this is a new one because my last one literally just wore out. Yeah. I had it for eight years, but it says truth on it. I believe 100% authentic truth. Be who you are. Be proud of who you are. Even in the shining moments that suck. Okay? We're all fuck-ups trying to figure it out. Not one of us has a clue what's going to happen next. And quite frankly, not all of us have learned enough from our past. Right? So give your assurance and allowance for yourself to make mistakes. It's going to happen. But you need to really... When I say truth, it's it's such a simple thing and a complex thing. I had a client last week 
um, she called me. And I actually knew her as a child, as a, like a, as an infant. They lived lived in a neighborhood near me, and she she's followed me on Facebook. She goes, Shane, I, I I need some help right now, and I see that you offer, like, can you put me in touch with a life coach? And I said, Well, I'm a life coach. I said, I'll help you out. I got a, I got an opening next Thursday. So to give you, I'll go into the schedule thing. But long story short, I didn't tell her anything she didn't know, bro. Yeah, I didn't help her. I allowed her to help herself. It's a very simple thing. You know what is wrong right now. I am telling you 100%. If you look in the mirror and you wonder why something didn't work, it didn't go your way, you fucking know why. Now, it might be it might be this shit over here that you have no control over. Mm-hmm. COVID, put your restaurant out of business. I get it. I'm 100% on board and I terribly feel bad for you. But what are you doing today in your life to better yourself? And each one of us knows where we fall short. This, this thing like with, uh, with athletes and whatnot, you know, I give 110%. You can't give 110. You can give 100. 100 is a full circle. Yeah. So let's stop this nonsense. And most of us don't have the capacity to even give 100. So what is your number that you need to hit? Because yep. 100 is assuming you're perfect. And perfection, my friend, doesn't exist. No. So maybe you can hit 99.9. <laughs> you know, but... If you're trying to get ahead in business entrepreneurs, okay, and you know that the email campaign, you could have spent more, you know in your body right now you didn't spend the, all the time you needed to on this one thing. You fucking know the answer. Yeah. You know, and it's a matter of getting really honest with yourself and looking in the mirror and saying, okay, this is my range then. And it doesn't mean you're a shit piece. It doesn't mean you're no good. It means that you have the capacity to put out 68% of epic shit. Yep. So how are you going to fill up that other 32? Yep. How are you going to find the other 32? Now you're going to find good people. You're going to find uh, apps, systems, chart out. George, you're part of that 38 to me. I don't know what my percentage is. I'm being argumentative here. Totally. Really, I don't know if I'm putting out 88% or I'm putting out 20%. Yep. But I know that if I want to get my business to where it is, I can't do 100% of it 100% at 100% of the time. Nope. Right? It's not possible. I don't know enough. Yeah. I'm not smart enough. It doesn't exist. Yep. But what I do know is that there's other people that can bring in things. And Brad, fine example, of course, he's my business partner now, right? Brad was part of a mastermind that I went to that I didn't want to go to. I didn't want to sit in this meeting. My business was losing money. I was having a shit thing. I got taken to the cleaners by an old friend for a ton of money who was a fraudster and a piece of shit. But I, 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 it was an old friend and I believed him. I didn't do the contracts, people. So also be very articulate and follow through on the, I, I, he didn't fuck me. I fucked myself. That's the truth. I didn't go, if he was a stranger, I would have had bylines and by, bylaws and bylines and contracts so scheduled. I'm like, ah, he's a good guy. I've known him for yeah. 30 years. Right? So, but I didn't want to go on this mastermind. And I sat in it and, 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 and Kevin Thompson, who brought me in and blessed Kevin Thompson, sorry, he was like, Shane, I, he called me personally. I need you in here. I'm like, why do you need me? I go, I got nothing to offer. Yeah. I go, my company just, I just got jacked for $200,000 this month and I got three more months to rebuild or I'm out. Yeah. Right. I'm like so pissed off at the world. I'm like, I'm not going to bring anything of value. He said, Shane, everything you bring is value. Yeah. He goes, we have consultants that want to move into charity and you work the most in charity of anybody I know. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well I can help that transition. Yeah. I know how to do that. I know how to, I know how to talk to charity people to be able to 
he, they wanted to consult in charities. They wanted to migrate their business. One consultant that was on the, on the panel, and that's why he thought of me. And I said, I know the language. Brad's in there, and I just jived with him. And Brad was asking a question. I won't speak about his business. It's not my place to. But he was asking a question, and I threw out an, an, a, a, a different way to phrase a question um, for ascertaining some new business. Yeah. And it wasn't even a field that I don't think about. And he's like, I like that. I'm going to try that. And about a week later, Brad called me and he used the pitch on me, which was kind of funny. Yeah. Right. But he did it sarcastically, of course. He's a pretty bright guy. I think you can agree on that. And he was like, hey, I want to do this for you. And I'm like, dude, you know, I can't afford you at the end of it, no matter how good you do. Yeah. I go, that, I was with you when we made the pitch, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I met with him and he did what he said he was going to do. And I found that that piece that whatever it's 10, 15, 20, 30%, whatever it is that fills in the gaps. And he introduced me to you. And the other thing that I'll say really quickly to your, 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 your crew here, you can't lose trust. That's the big thing too. So truth and trust are extremely important. You got to live in your own truth, but you can't be void of trust. I hate, and I know that Gary V has been saying this a lot. I've been saying this for years and I know Gary and he's a great guy. I mean, I'm telling you, he didn't steal from me either. It's his own thought process, but I'm pissed off. He's got a platform that can say it to millions of people before I could is you don't earn shit from me. Your trust is your, I give my George, I met you once. I trust you emphatically. It's yours. Mm-hmm. What you do with it is up to you. Yeah. And if I get burned by you and I trust you again, then I'm an idiot. Yep. Okay. But I give it, I don't, you don't earn shit from me. I have zero expectations. Mm-hmm. Zero. I don't expect a goddamn thing from anybody because I will show up. I will show up on time. I'll show up with authenticity and and truth. And if that's not good enough, then it's not good enough. Yeah. And I had to learn that the past eight years of sobriety, I'm 45 now. I got sober at 37. I had to learn that. I had to learn that I'm good enough as long as I'm giving it my best. And, you, and, and if you're honest with yourself and you're authentic with yourself and you give yourself, you got to be hard on yourself. I am the worst fucking critic. You had, you know, I shot content two weeks ago under your advisement, Shane, needs you to shoot new content. They sent me everything. I think it's dog shit. I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, this sucks. This sucks. You know what? One's converting epic. Well, I know. And here's the beautiful part. The content was never for you or your opinion anyways, because I had you do it for them. Well, yeah. That's like I mean, works. I'm, I'm looking at what I'm doing and I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I don't like the way that shirt fits. And blah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. yeah. But I, I like the way I've spoken a couple things because like, I'm like this, I'm a flow guy, right? Yeah. What I, what I, I go on for an hour. Yeah. What like, I love yeah. about you and I have to interrupt you so I can wrap yeah. some paper around this. What I love about you is there's no filter between your brain and the world. So that means there's no filter between your heart, your brain and the world. And so we get all of shame. But like what I love about this, you know, earlier you talked about having the space, right? Like, being an authentic truth. And, and one of my tools for my sobriety was authentic expression all the time, regardless of yeah. like what it was. And so you and I talk a lot and I find that my talking is my accountability measure because I'll say it and I say it all. I'm like, oh yeah, when I did this, and when I had this, when I had this, but it's just a practice, like a muscle, right? And so I want to wrap a couple things that you said and ask you another question. So, you know, sure. you talked about like the hundred percent, you know, Jeff Spencer is a dear friend of mine, teacher, and Jeff is responsible for coaching over a hundred Olympic gold medalists, a hundred of them. And he taught me this beautiful word called temperance. And he's like, Olympians are gold medalists because they train to 70% intentionally every day, intentionally. And then they know 
that's what they have to do, you know, to win that gold. And they save what's there in the tank for when it matters. They outsource the rest and they play it. And so, you know, what you're talking about is like at the very beginning of this, at the very beginning, of this, you're like patience and space. Like you need space to see. You need space yeah. to see the perspective. You need to remove yourself from that equation. You need to be able to process and feel what's coming up and explore it and really, really sit with it, not shove it down, not let that levy break on you, but to really be with it. You know, and I asked a question about like, what's the day look like? But you gave the answer and the, the answer is like being in a relationship with the one person you're guaranteed to spend the rest of your life with, which is yourself. Yeah. And practicing and, it. And, and, and the other component to that, and I know I've drifted off on you, so I'll sum up a day really quickly, is I treat everything that it, like it matters, okay? I, I say it on my Instagram all the time, crush everything you do. Yep. doesn't mean I'm great at everything I do, but I give it my best. Um, I learned that from my recovery. And when I started coaching people with on their recovery, one of the things that I'd always talk about is, was, you know, self, what's the word I'm looking for? you have to own it. You have to be responsible yourself. You have to oh, self-integrity, self-awareness. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I used to say like, if you want, like I, one of the rules that I have in my early sobriety is if I'm with somebody, I will never drive anybody to an event. There's going to be alcohol. Yeah. Sometimes first girlfriends too. That's a very interesting conversation. When you start dating somebody you're like, yeah, I'll meet you there. Why not picking you up? Cause you drink. I don't care if you drink. It's that if I have to go, I'm not going to look for you because it's an ER appointment. I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. If you're at a wedding, this is the analogy I give. If you're at a wedding and you're having a heart attack, you say, wait a minute, I got to say bye to the bride and groom. Right? No, you don't. The gurney pulls you out or you race to the hospital. And I treat that like everything else. So, for instance, before our call today, um, I have a standing appointment where I train every day. I give myself a workout every day. Yeah. Right? So that hour is never booked for me. Never. It's not allowed. It's as important as me getting up in the morning. Yep. It's as important as me eating. It's as important as my cold plunge. They are all important measures each day. And if you don't segregate them out or you don't separate them out or you say, I'll get to that when I'm done this, you got a timeline shit. I work for six hours, gym time. Whatever I'm doing, computer closes. Yep. I don't return texts. I don't look at my phone, nothing. That's my time. Yep. That's my time to let the valve, the steam come out. Yep. I need that as bad as you might need a text return from me. But if I don't take care of this, I can't help you. Yep. Because if I do that hour with you when I should be working out, blowing off steam, I'm going to be a nut job. Totally. I'm not going to be focused. Totally. And that's going to that's transcend further and further and further and compound. Yep. So my day is simple, man. I wake up. The first thing I do is I lay in bed for about two minutes. I don't jump out of bed. I've told you this routine. I do not jump out of bed. I lay back down. I do breathing exercise and I set my intention for the day. And my intention has been everything from I don't want to shit my pants because I ate bad food the night before and I had diarrhea to I want to change somebody's life today. Yeah. And if that's my intention, I'm going to do somewhere. It's got to fit in. Yeah. Uh, I always leave an hour every single day. There's an hour opening on my schedule. It doesn't matter if it's 11 o'clock to midnight or midnight to one to help somebody for an hour in coaching. Yep. So every single day, seven days a week, I do an hour coaching pro bono. Used to be Tuesdays. I took all Tuesdays off work and I used to do seven hours of coaching on Tuesdays. It was too much mental strain to deal with seven different people going through seven different things and be able to be honest with each and every one of them. Yep. So now it's one hour a day and every day I have somebody booked and I don't work with people for a long period of time with the exception of a few uh, very big cost clients that are either UFC fighters or celebrities 
that that I know need more work. I'm not a therapist. I come and I'm like, I fix the one thing by making you recognize you already have the fix in your pocket. Yep. Come back to me when there's another broken piece and I'll totally. show you where the other screw is. Right. So I'm not trying to ask you, I'm not trying to discover more problems. Totally. You and you say, like, I don't know what to do in this scenario. What's your gut say? What's your heart say? What do you want out of the end of this? Yep. Right. A life coach's question is not to give you advice, it's to ask you questions that you answer your own advice. Totally. You get your own advice. Totally. Right. So every hour of a day, one hour of a day is for sure for Jim. 15 to 20 minutes of the day is for sure a cold plunge. One hour is to give back. Yep. The rest of it is my business. Yep. And I and this is where I apologize to everybody that's watching. I'm not married and I don't have kids, guys. So my 18-hour days are a breeze because I have no other I have no other uh, distractions. I'm at a cottage, three hours outside or an hour and a half outside of Toronto. Yep. Right. I'm I'm at a lake house. I have no distractions, so I can literally focus on these things. My gym is a garage. The lake is right there. Yeah. Yeah. You so mean? what I what I think is so important, what I'm hearing, and, and this is just really important to even tie everything. Like when we think about the space, the patience, right? Giving your all in every moment. It's actually just creating a container that you can win in, like being intentional about your time, being intentional yeah. about those things that fill your tank, being intentional about the space that you are allowed to process, being intentional about knowing who you have in your corner who can help you get that extra percentage, like really just bringing awareness, like you talk about that self-awareness to integrity, like bring uh, integrity, bring it to intention, right? Really creating that container of intention. And so, um, you know, one of the things, and, and I'm going to have to wrap with this, but I, I think it's really, really important. When you think about intention, I think one of the things you and I have jammed upon a lot is like we set containers up to win. We're like, how can we win, right? Like how can we put our ice bath two minutes away from us, right? How do we make sure we're with a cold lake? How do we set our day to make sure we get that steam blow off or that awareness in the morning? You know, and I think as entrepreneurs, I think as high performance people, you know, we drive race cars and in the day and age that we're in, it's celebrated like work harder, hustle harder, but you got to take care of yourself. You got to work out. You got to eat clean. You got to supplement. You got to drink water. You got to do all of it. And, and this is um, a completely, I'm not paid for this. Shane is the founder of the company sitting in front of me. I am not paid for this. I have no stake in this. Uh, your product actually has become my favorite thing for me, my wife and my daughter, because my wife hates taking supplements. My daughter is on school and remote school and like sitting in a chair all day and has been asking me for energy. I don't want to give my 15 year old coffee. And then <laughs> my little four year olds asking about it, but I've told everybody about this and, and like literally the vitamin patches have been one of my favorite things ever, like putting on a vitamin B patch or knowing that we're all vitamin D deficient. And so I want to take a minute just to let you really talk yeah. about this. Cause for everybody listening, um, Brad is one of my dear friends. He was our hundredth episode that came out a couple weeks ago. And uh, I know Brad and Shane, and I'm, I'm helping them because I believe in what this is, but it's a really beautiful understanding. Like, can you put your hands up right now? I bet you have both on, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah totally, right? And it's, it's one of these things that our success as entrepreneurs, as human beings, really comes down to us stacking our habits, like really creating a container that we're guaranteed to win in, getting things from having to think about them and manage them to like just becoming a part of the routine and I've made your vitamin patches a part of my daily routine. Like I slap them on the back of my hands. I'll put them on my neck. Like sometimes I'm a smart ass and I put them where people can see them. So they ask me questions about it, you know, but Appreciate I think, yeah, well, well, of course, but I, I think it's a really, you know, powerful thing. So I, I just want to give you a minute, 
you know, before we wrap, I don't let anybody, I don't never ask this, but I think it's really important because I believe in everything you do and I believe in why you're doing it. And I want to let you get everybody here. And by the way, there's a 20% off coupon with the code lighthouse that I just remembered yeah. that we made. Um, yeah, we did. Oh, from yeah, the live right. stream. Yeah, the, co the coupon code, everybody remember this. We'll put it in the show notes, but it's called, the code is lighthouse and it's 20% uh, off for the vitamin patches. But can you tell everybody like why they're effective, why they're good, yeah. like how you piss out like 60% of your normal supplements anyways, like whatever those numbers are that you know and I don't. Yeah, it's actually my favorite video we shot the other week. It was me standing taking a pee, by the way. Nice. Yeah, it's just, it's just, a, it's not me really peeing, people. It's a jug of water that I'm holding close to myself and it's a back shot and all you see is a stream of pee and it's me over talking going, your pee stink. It shouldn't. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Look, uh, what I learned along the way very quickly is when I had my private practice in Los Angeles, um, Whole Life Balance, is I did two, we did several modalities in there, but one of them was vitamin IV infusions and one of them was nutritional consulting. Vitamin IV infusions was, I was part owner of that division, which was medically supervised. We had nurses and the nutritional consulting was under the WLB, my division of the, the business. And I was basically helping people eat right, get motivated, do the thing and, and work out. We had a private gym in the back to full body boutique 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 services and i noticed the correlation at first when i had the clinic that people that were coming in that were doing changing their meal habits but didn't have it all down yet there's so much to learn to eat right about your body about how you work about the damage that's being done to you we got to correct what's wrong before we start you know really seeing benefits from it so part of their routine or their protocols was that we would give them supplements, right? We would say, here's the best brands on the market. And I have a special membership to get ones that aren't even sold retail guys. So I was getting the best, like they didn't look pretty. They didn't like they were horse pills or they were whatever, but they were the tops quality and they weren't even retail available, special for practitioners. And we had our vitamin drips. The vitamin drips customers would come in once a week, spend 150 to 180 to $250 for a custom drip that I would procure and make. That's one of my degrees, it's orthomolecular health practitioner. So I know how to chelate different nutrients together to make you your best. And uh, I was noticing that the vitamin drip people, the IV people were balanced out within a month of a drip a week, but they had spent 600 bucks, which doesn't seem like a big investment to me in all honesty for your health. It seems like a nothing, but it is when people are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And most of us are. I still am, no matter what y'all think about the stories of the clubs, I pissed through a lot of that money and I've invested a ton starting new businesses. So I am, I am broke as a joke when I'm starting all this stuff, right? So, I mean, I, I had my fun. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching these people do great that have money and it's the good old story. The people that didn't have it were still suffering and the supplements they're taking, I wasn't seeing improvements. So I got very skeptical of my clients saying like, you're not, you've got to be doing something wrong. I'm giving you the food plan and I'm giving you the supplement support. What are you not doing? What's the problem? And they promised, they swore, they did a food calendar. They did a food journal. They did everything. They're eating right. And they weren't getting better. I remember what I learned in school, bioavailability. Very common term in the medical pharmaceutical vision is bioavailability. And what that means is what part of the medicinal or active ingredient actually gets to the desired destination or its intended place. Yep. When we take nutrients and supplements, the intention is not to get them in our stomach or our digestive tract, our small intestine, our portal vein, or our liver. Our desired place, the end place is our tissue, muscles, 
organs, brain, bones, teeth, ocular, into the systems that make us work. And they travel through our bloodstream. So when I learned bioavailability of supplements was maximum 20, which was the products I was getting that you do not have access. Well, you might, George, <laughs> knowing you. But most people don't have access to because you can't buy them. You have to have a nutritional practitioner's license. Or you buy the other ones at the store, even the best, the best with the really good labeling that they've sunk hundreds of millions of dollars in marketing is going to be 10%. So I looked at it fiscally because I'm an entrepreneur. And I was like, well, that's a terrible investment. I'm giving you 100% of my, if I went to a steakhouse and I spent $100 of steak and you brought me 10% of the steak, I would break the waiter's neck. Yep. Right. So I was like, this is horrible. Bioavailability is 10 to 20%. I looked at it purely as a funding thing. I'm like, this is ridiculous. How could I get somebody to get 100% of what they need? That's how I originally looked at it. And I was struggling with this for a while. I was thinking about dropping our vitamin drips, just doing shots, booster shots. I was thinking of all the in the box stuff, the tools that I had at my office. I'm like, maybe if I can get a bigger wholesale deal with the supplements, I can sell them cheaper and they can take twice as much. We can overload them. And I learned about toxic load taking too much of one supplement can, can create an imbalance in your digestive tract and screw, screw up your, your bacterial levels, screw up your pyloric sphincter, which is your, your gasket that opens up from your stomach into your into your uh, small intestines. There's It can screw up your esophageal sphincter because you're taking too much. It can cause acid reflux, heart problems, or, or uh, stomach problems, all kinds of shit. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't overdose them then. So I can't give them, which is, by the way, what pharmaceuticals companies do or supplement companies do. They give you 300% knowing that you're only going to get 10%, so you end up with 30%, right? But I digress on them. So I was just frustrated. And uh, you know what? I'll be 100% honest with the audience here because I talked about authenticity. And I told you this would come out one day. I didn't expect it today. I still smoke, guys. Yeah. Okay? And I never – you don't see you find a picture of me online smoking. You won't find – Anywhere else will you ever see no any recognition except a gold cast video from four years ago. I still smoke. I'm an idiot. You can DM me and tell me I'm a jerk face, whatever. I agree with you. It's a, it's a disease, and I haven't got given it up Shane yet. Griffin on Facebook. Shane Griffin. <laughs> yes, Shane Griffin. Feel free to DM me. So one thing I haven't quit yet, and I've got a thousand excuses. They're all excuses. I just haven't quit. That's the simple truth. But I was planning on quitting. And I had this big plan of a date and I set it in my calendar and this was the date. And this is going back about four years ago now. And I went to the store and I, I wanted to get a prescription to Chantex, which is a smoking cessation pill. And it had a good bioavailability. Actually, pharmaceuticals tend to have a little bit higher than supplements, like 63%. And I said, okay, well, I'll get that and figure it out. And the, the uh, pharmacist who knew me, said, Shane, I don't think it's a good idea for you. You know, this help, this doesn't, people with anxiety and depression, which I suffer from both. She said, this is, that's one of the side effects. And I would just take to see you go down that road and they can become addictive. And I'm like, all right, no, no, why not? Not doing it. Uh, I said, what's the best option then? And she said, just get the nicotine patches. And I'm like, but do they work? And she's like, they're the number one selling smoking cessation product in the world. And I said, how do they work though? I mean, that makes no sense to me. I was the same as everybody else that comes to our website first thought. I'm like, skin's a barrier. Skin doesn't let anything in. It protects us from the world, the evil outside world. And she explained what transdermal technology was. And that was the first time I even put it together. We're in there with the nicotine patches and the aisle right beside was the vitamins. And it was all this wall of pills that I knew were junk and shit. And then the nicotine patches, which were actually down here. And I looked up and I went, are you kidding me? 
I'm like, why are we doing that with this? Yep. And it was my epiphany. And the reason I still smoke, guys, amongst many thousand other excuses, is I left the store that buy the nicotine patches because I had an idea. <laughs> so I ran out of the store and I called my team and I'm like, hey, guys, I got a new venture. I think I'm going to start. I'm going to see if we can manufacture vitamins in a, in, a, in a patch. And the simple way that they work, guys, is very easy. So you can only see a tiny layer. Actually, you know what? I got a couple in here. So I'm going to peel it off. Well, and, and just so everybody knows, like, yeah, and you can explain it. It's all on the website as well. Like the imagery is really yeah. helpful for you. So I hold it. This way. Yeah, there so you go. go. It's got a little delay on the camera on my end. So I got to move it slowly. Anyways, that's it. And you'll see that it's very thin, right? And for those of you listening, Shane's holding up one of the actual patches. It's like yeah. it's like one-fifth of the width of a Band-Aid that you would put on. Like yeah. It's actually really, really thin. Very small. And so, so with, with in it... This, in yeah, that tiny little bit, though, George, is a backing layer, well, a design layer, a backing layer, a um, the, the adhesion module... And then the nutrients. So there's actually three layers in there, right? Yeah. And they're pressed together. And so one's for design, one's for sub substrate, and then one's for the adhesion. And inside the adhesion on the glue side is where the nutrients are held. Yeah. And so once you put it on, it, it it's like a, a, a time release delivery over like a span of like four to six hours. And then, yeah. right? Yeah. Got it. So you're getting a constant delivery. There's no artificial fillers or binders in there, which is a huge thing that, that, uh, companies use between coloring agents, binders, uh, coagulants, um, obviously fillers, a ton of other single nutrients you supplement comes use. We don't need any of that. Yep. Because ours is held in adhesion. The adhesion is above 700 Dalton, which is the measured weight that is called the 700 Dalton rule, which is what allows our skin to enter. Yep. Anything less than 700 Dalton will absorb through your skin, provided it's protected, it's secure, and it's not wipeable. So there is some truth to lotions and creams being able to be absorbed through the screen. Some of the ingredients in them, usually the bad ones, they do absorb. But most of us put on a lotion within 10 minutes, we've wiped or moved. They have to, the molecules have to stay fairly still to absorb. Got it. So that's what the backing layer So it's not like a spray. That's why I don't have a spray. Imagine I get to spray your arm and you get it because yeah. you wipe off. Got it's it. also the reason vitamin D takes a little bit of time whenever you molecularizes through the sun. Vitamin D is particles. When it lands on your skin, it has to metabolize through the skin. It takes up to six hours. Well, it takes up to three to five hours on the average person to actually absorb through your skin. Yeah. So if you if you go up in the morning and you say, I got my son today 20 minutes and you went home and had a shower, you actually washed off your vitamin D. Got which it. Which is a thing people don't know. So you need it with no protection. You need it in an area that's not going to get wiped or sweaty or creamed or lotion. I love it. So this this just absorbs at at a rate of 90 90 to 96% depending on different scientific studies yep um, and it's time release no active no fillers non gmo all organic and honestly it just i'll go back to what i told you an hour ago a half an hour ago i don't know how long we've been going here but i told you i want to help people yep that's what i learned when i got out of rehab i want to help people and this was a way to help people and and, I, and i'm going to be a, again blatantly honest with your team this isn't going to change your fucking life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Vitamin patch club is nearly a ladder. It's one rung in a ladder. It's a cog in a wheel. It's one thing. I love what Brad thought of. Brad is like, you know what I love about a shame is I look down and I did, did something good for myself today. Totally. Totally. In a world where we're getting kicked and punched every freaking minute, I can look down and say, you did something good. Yeah. Something no, and, good. And, it, and it's and good. Good motivate you to do more good, right? Totally. I hydrate better eat better. I'm going to work out a little bit. I'm going to walk better. I'm going to think better. I'm going to release better. I'm going to be honest more. I'm going to treat people a little more dignity. All of these things matter. And, and I believe 100% in my body and my bones that I, when I created this, I'm like, how can I get 
in front of people because I, I this is going to sound arrogant perhaps I know I got a lot of shit to offer the world bro I want to I'm begging to I'm dreaming to my dream is to actually be able to help people right and yeah. everywhere in all walks of life all over the world and if I could do that and still afford to live if that was a job just to help people wow I'd be all in right but I you have to plan something so I figured let's get a company Let's get something that helps people. Let's bring value to them. And then I'm in the kitchen. Yep. Right. And now through vitamin patch, we can start talking about cold plunging, the benefits of restoration. We can talk about zinc and why you need it. We can talk about keto diet, fasting diet, yep. um, intermittent fasting, one meal a day. We can talk about kickboxing versus regular boxing. I don't, whatever that conversation is. Yep. There's so much, because the one thing I learned, bro, when I had my practices, people aren't stupid. They're not informed. Yep. Like we've done an injustice to a generation that, that like, and I'll just, without going into COVID shit, but the biggest mistake that was made that drove me nuts is not one doctor at the very beginning of this, when they did the lockdown said, okay, guys, this month, this is how you break, take care of yourself better. I know this is scary. This is a bad thing that's happening. Yada, yada, yada. Right. But this month we have to lock you down or we're choosing to lock you down or it's going to be a lockdown or whatever it's going to be. I need you all to drink uh, a liter of water. Uh, I don't know what that is in gallons. Sorry, 3.63 liters. So a half a gallon of water, a third of, 30 gallon of water, whatever it is, 30 gallon of water. I need you to practice your breathing and I need you to, I need you to start taking care of yourself because none of us have taken ownership that part of our bad health is our own fault. Yeah. You know, we're not doing it. So that pissed me off. And I think we've done a tragedy where we haven't informed people because the biggest mistake I saw, the biggest mistake I saw is people come in and they have the wrong information. They have no understanding what good food groups are. Yeah. They don't know what to eat. They don't know what their body needs. They don't know how active they have to be. And somewhere we're supposed to be teaching people how to, how to be better human beings. And yep. I think our education system, our health ministers, our department of health and science, they've all failed us. Yeah. Cause I shouldn't for Christ's sakes, I'm the fucking guy that's going to teach everybody this. That scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Well, it does. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to, but listen, um, everybody listening to this, like the one thing that I, I think is so, so important to wrap all this together, consistency, patience, space, you know, habit stacking, setting yourself up to win, like doing all the things, having self-awareness. There's so much loaded in this. And, and, you know, to summarize the vitamin patches, I use them. I love them. I love Brad's, you know, take on them because I do see them and I look at them every day. And, and to be quite yeah. frankly, I forget sometimes to put my supplements out and I take a whole lot of ones that like weren't effective. And I love the fact that like, I don't get an upset stomach and I can just wear them and I know that they're working and I'm not supposed to have like this crazy, you know, placebo effect. It's just supposed to work and it's supposed to be yeah, there and support it, my body. And so we're all deficient. Sorry to interrupt you, George. We're all deficient. Yeah. We no, all no. have things. We're all, we all have some serious issues going on. And the very simple way to take care of that is take care of yourself. And what we've created is just a better method of doing so. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a better absorption. Yep. It's less invasive than taking pills that are full of what we don't know they're full of. We're made in the USA. We're sourced in the USA. We're a little bit more expensive because we're manufactured here, guys. That's the truth. And it costs more to manufacture a pack. So if you do price comparison, sure, you can buy a bucket of vitamin D pills that are made wherever the hell you want to make them. Yeah. Ours are made in the USA. And they're made by skilled laborers, and it's an FDA-approved facility. It's not made in some vat. That is one of the main reasons, by the way, some of my clients in the UFC had been kicked out of fights because they were taking creatine from a company that was also making some illicit substance, and it was left in the vat. Yeah. 
So I mean, that's that's a that is a hundred percent true on a couple of my, one of my clients specifically. Yeah, they they forced it back to the manufacturer. They spent their own money to prove he wasn't cheating. Totally, and right? I mean, and it happens. Well, and it happens. So I'm gonna so, I'm gonna summarize and give everybody the code because I gotta. Everybody remember this. The code is Lighthouse. That's easy to remember. But go to vitaminpatchclub.com. Shane has beautiful imagery on there. Shows you how it works. The options are there. There's a bundle to try them. I recommend everybody trying them. Giving them a, I give them my stamp of approval. I use them. My family uses them. Um, I think they're amazing. And I also know what content is coming because I'm helping with the strategy of there and getting into the benefits of everything that Shane and the team at his company will help you with. Um, Can I give you one up on that, George, before you wrap? Because I want to give your your followers and viewers uh, uh, one one little thing because we Go just, we're going to be. So here's my guarantee, guys. Okay, but I need a little work from you too. Use the code Lighthouse. Start with a three month starter pack. It's the only way to get our product that isn't a subscription. Mind you, on the subscription model, you can cancel anytime. But I want you to invest in three months. But I want you to do me one favor: get a blood test before, get a blood test after, and be honest in where your patches. If you're not happy 100%, I will send you the fucking money back. Yep. Because I know 100%, I've done this challenge with my friends and family that have doubted me. And I've said, look, all I'm asking you is be honest. Get a blood test before and after. Wear them every day. Don't skip. Don't miss. Don't forget. Don't say I missed a week. I went on vacation. They're tiny. They're small. They're this big. You can carry them in your purse. You can put them in your glove box. Right? You can carry them in your wallet. And if you don't see an increase in the nutrients and supplements of the product of your choice, I will refund your money personally. I love you it. can eat me personally. I will PayPal it to you that minute. I love it. I love it. So that, and we're, that's one of the things that I, I actually just put it on my grandma a couple of days ago. I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to tell everybody this. I'm sick of being asked, do they work? Try it risk-free. I'll give you the money back. But all I'm asking is you not to be a dirtbag. If you don't wear them, and you forget and you're out the money and you get mad at me because you spent your money and didn't use them, please don't be a dirtbag. So I'm trusting you. I give you my trust. I love it. I love please it. Keep- Shane, I love it. I love it, man. Uh, we'll just get everybody in a room with you. Everybody go find him. He'll put on an event. He'll tell you all the stories for 12 hours, 20 hours. He'll feed you healthy food, put you in cold therapy in the lake. He'll slap vitamin yeah. patches on top of you. And so uh, the code, again, is Lighthouse. Um, I Just so everybody knows, I don't get an affiliate commission for that. That is just a discount that no. they did for you guys. So Lighthouse at vitaminpatchclub.com. You'll see everything there. Shane, thanks for being here, man. I get a wrap. Everybody's like, let me go get my patches and slap it. Put them on your hand. Take a picture. Slap them on Instagram. Send Shane a DM. He responds. Hit him up on Instagram. Hit him up all the places. Shane Griffin LA Instagram, Vitamin Patch Club. I answer and respond to both. Both I apps, of course. I love here it. I love it. I love it. So for everybody watching, listening, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for having another free for all Friday with the craziest stories that you will never forget that Shane will always say. I will see you guys in the next episode. And remember, relationships will always beat algorithms. So now I'm going to cue the outro. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind of George show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, 
my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.